Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching with TBA rabbinic intern Rachel Cohn. What we'll be looking at tonight is a section of the text where we find Moshe in a predicament that perhaps many of us can relate to of multitasking to the max, being very overwhelmed and stretched and stressed in his capacity to handle everything as a leader. Namely, the situation where he was was ruling over a bunch of different cases that people would bring to him to act as judge. And this is a precursor to the system of the judges that was established. And thankfully, Moshe got some very good, good mentorship from Yitro in this section. This is, again, before the receiving of the Ten Commandments. And I, I happen to view this section as part of Moshe's sort of leadership preparation for him to be ready for the moment for everybody to receive the Ten Commandments. So that's some of why it interests me. But we can, we'll take a look at it unpack a little bit more about what might have been happening behind the scenes for Moshe as a leader and how he might have grown from this, this incident and this mentor relationship from Yitro. So beginning in, so chapter 18, verse 14, I'll read aloud a little bit and then I'll invite discussion for, for most of the time. So we see Moses's father-in-law, who we knew is, know is Yitro, saw how much uh, Moses had to do for the people. And he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you act alone while all the people stand about you from morning until evening? Moses replied, it is because the people come to me to inquire of God. I decide between one person and another, and I make known the laws and teachings of God. So he gets some pushback. And that's Moshe stating plain and simply, you know, like, no, Yitro, you don't understand. This is just how the situation is. There's all these people. They come to me. I teach them the laws of God. So Yitro, I think, um, knowing his audience well, gives him the following response. You will surely wear yourself out and these people as well. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. And then... I didn't include this part on the sheet, but Yutro proceeds to give him a bunch of advice about how to set up a system of judges so that he does not have to act alone himself and carefully choosing um, wise people from from the population to assist him in this in this task. So then this is the part where I think where I think Yutro knew he must have had enough of a relationship with Moshe to know this might have hit home. So if you do this. And then this, the translation, I'll, I'll look at the Hebrew in a moment because the translation is a bit tricky, but we could say, if you do this and God commands you, or when God commands you later, you will be able to stand. All these people too will go home unwearied. Or another translation is all of these people will come to their place in peace. So their place could be getting home after standing in line, waiting for a judgment from Moshe, or it could my, it could be the people collectively getting to the promised land. But either way, it seems like Yitro is saying minimally something about God's commandedness being tied to the urgency of this task of delegating and it being something that will benefit not only Moshe, but the people as well. So I'm curious for your thoughts when Yitro says you will wear yourself out and these people as well. 
what might you be referring to if Moshe continues to be the only person acting as a judge? Why would it wear out the people and not only Moshe? Like, it's obvious to me why it would wear out Moshe, but why would it wear out the people as well? Justice delayed is justice denied. Yep. Yeah. So, right. If they're waiting long enough, well, say, say more about what that means to you. No, I mean, it, it, if you if, if, if you're so burdened and the people are bringing the problems to you and you can only do so much, then their problems won't be addressed and they won't get justice. Right. Great. Uh, Bacharax, you had a, a thought also? I had a, another shot with a dog in the background. But um, <laughs> the, the other um, the other thing is that it's like the if the like the virus right now, the pandemic stuff, people are waiting in line and can't get results. There's a major amount of frustration. Forget about the, the frustration. There's nothing happening. It's not right. even denied. It's not even denied. Just denied. It's just that there's just just such waiting and frustration because they can't they can't touch talk to him yeah. from that right. standpoint. Right. And the anxiety. waiting anxiety. Right. Yeah. Right. The the kind of that stasis builds frustration, anxiety. He could give the best ruling in the world once they get to the end of the line. But if they have to wait so long that they built up frustration about, you know, whatever the issue is, is probably continuing while they're waiting also. So it's like, it, you know, whatever his expertise is, is diminished by the fact that they have to wait. Um, great. Any other thoughts before we uh, Larry? Yes, he, he's not going to give the best decisions hmm. because he's overburdened. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether you want to open it up now, but I just mentioned um, every morning when we um, when we read uh, passage rabbinic texts, as Marshall instructs us to do when he's doing Pesukit de Zimra, in the Slim Shalom, there's a page of texts about, about truth. And the last of the four texts there is from Shabbatot, um, page 10, uh, Amud Aleph. And I won't read the whole thing, but it's about Rav Chista and Rabbah, Bar Rabbi Chuna, who sat in court the whole day, and then Rabbi Chia Bar Rav um, Abdifta told them that, and it quotes from our, it quotes uh, verse 13, the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. And he says, do you really think that Moses sat in court the entire day? He says, when will he have time to study Torah? From that I understand he doesn't mean literally studying Torah. When will he have time to prepare himself for the decisions that he's making? Mm-hmm. And then it goes on from there. Very nice. Nice connection. Right, right. That he he needs to refresh his own ability to, to think clearly and that that's going to be diminished. You know, I have a lot of friends who are doctors and they've said, residency is terrible for that kind of thing because you know you're supposed to be learning to be a doctor but they put you through these super stressful conditions where you know they don't feel like they can be the best doctor possible because they have no sleep so right so motion might be in a situation like that great any other thoughts before we we look more at Moshe's behind the scenes okay so <clears throat> I mentioned that I think Yitro knew his audience and he was saying this because he's he's tr- he when he links it to commandedness, you know, like that's probably a thing that Moshe pays attention to. So what we're going to look at in some of the commentaries is, is, you know, what's behind that commandedness and why might it be part of God's wishes for Moshe to, to delegate. I mean, I think all of the things you mentioned are already part of, you know, like God would wish Moshe to be a successful leader. And you've all named many reasons why he can be more successful by delegating. So um, 
But is there somebody who has the sheet who can read the um, the Hizkuni piece, the under what was standing in Moshe's way? I'll do it. It says, uh, God's statutes and God's teachings. Moses refers to the statutes and teachings that God had already taught him prior to the revelation at Mount Sinai. Great. So this maybe provides some insight into why Moshe felt really only he could do it because there was this revelation that we, that we read about in this other chapter, this prior chapter in, in Exodus where it's unclear who exactly got the teachings. So in this Chizkuni, he's probably reading it as only Moshe got this information about these statutes that came before the, the Ten Commandments, which we know at least a large segment of the people, you know, how we read whether the women were there or not is, is debated. But um, once we get to the Ten Commandments, it's, a, it's a, you know, a large chunk of the people who get the commandments. But what Moshe is saying here, according to Chizkuni, is, oh, well, I have to be the one to teach them God's statutes and teachings because I have this body of knowledge that, that, that you know, that is unique to me. Nobody else knows it. Do you buy this as a, um, as a, a response, a, a justification in response? I don't know if I buy it, but I will say this is that it's one of the dangers of having all the knowledge in one person. It does you no good to have a system of judges if they don't aren't taught the law. So in, in some respect, you know, if if he's going if 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 Yitro wants to have a delegation of responsibility and you have to make sure that the knowledge that the lead person has is properly delegated to these other people or the people suffer from the unqualified judges. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that this, some of this goes against one strand of work culture in America that says, you know, make your, make yourself, you know, essential to the organization, make yourself not replaceable. Um, Gary, you have something to add or Marlies? Um, Yeah. I was just going to say, even, I mean, obviously you could think of Moses teaching, you know, appointing judges and teaching them then, but I mean, at some point, Moses isn't going to be able to work anymore, and he's going to die. So it just it makes sense that he's going to need to transmit this to to other people to to carry on God's um, commandments. Great. So that connects to my next question, which was going to be what What do you think Moshe is so afraid of as he's as he's maybe saying, "No, you know, this is this is my knowledge. It's mine. I'm the only one who has it." So you kind of maybe you, you mentioned that eventually he's going to die. So that you know that could be one of the 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 fears the things he's pushing back against is his own mortality and the the limitations of his his the lifespan of him being the leader of the people but um i i don't you can add more thoughts to that before we jump to other people no yeah i mean that i guess that's that that sounds like that could be a reason um yeah i don't okay great anyone else want to say do you think there are other things moshe is is afraid of in in wanting to hold on to everything larry yeah, well, not intending to be too critical of, of Moshe. I think that his his story uh, is a cautionary tale about someone who has mm-hmm. the, the power and for reasons that we justify in the in our in our tradition, he's he's in some senses unwilling to to actually to share it and to pass it along. It kind of reminds me of a story that I once heard by from from Jerry Rawlings, who was the president of Ghana in the nineteen. 90s, I think, 80s and 90s. 
And uh, he said that uh, when he took over, actually in a revolution, and then he was elected president, he had a, a lot of things he knew he needed to get done. And then when the term, his first term was up, he knew he had to run again because there were, it was unfinished business. And then when that second term was up, he said, well, there's nobody else around, so I'm going to have to do it again. But then he stopped himself and he said, well, if I don't step aside, no one's ever going to step in. And the mm -hmm. world is full, especially Africa, but the world is full of examples of leaders who may, not because they're acquiring, they, they, they want to acquire power, because they think there's nobody else that can do it. But as my friend Bitsala Bachor used to tell me in, uh, in, in Israel, a common uh, Israeli expression, the cemetery is filled with indispensable people. Right. 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 I'm thinking now of the, if anyone's seen Hamilton, the musical, the part where George Washington is, is saying to Alexander Hamilton, we have to teach them how to say goodbye because the vision will live on. If I let go of this, then the vision can live on past me in a way that, right. If people view themselves as indispensable until the end of their, uh, the end of their lives, then in some ways it, it limits the extent to which they can pass on that vision and let it grow. Maybe there's a Torah in an alternative universe where Moses steps aside much earlier. Mm. That's a midrash waiting to happen, right? There's, yeah. no, there's no Jewish people without the bringing up and, 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 and providing knowledge to those below you. You know, corporate America works like this all the time. I've been a lawyer for 33 years. Most law firms don't survive their founders. And it's precisely because of this problem mm. is that they don't actually bring up the mid-level people to actually assume the role of responsibility. So when they die, the law firm dies with them. And I'm just saying that it, it's, it's sad to watch happens every day. And it, it's the big test for the law profession. Can the firm survive its founders? And the ones that do are the ones that teach the people that are below them how to assume the role of responsibility in the business of the firm and all the details and all of that. I've seen it so many times over my 33 years. It's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's a, you know, it's a world I know very little about and it's interesting to hear about. I think that there's probably in many fields a tendency for, for ego or, yeah. you know, just human nature in general to get the best of us and, and, you know, make us feel strong when we are holding everything but I think Yitro is pointing out something really important here that that actually you're, you're not strongest when you're holding everything in your in, you know, in your one portfolio, let's say. And it, there's a strength in in sharing it. So let's look now at part of Yitro's wisdom in trying to convey this to Moshe, specifically in in using the word, you know, like either God commands you now or when God commands you in the future, this is going to be necessary. So is there somebody who can read the Or HaChaim? Uh, Larry, Larry sure. Rosen. Oh, wait, I think the other Larry had raised his hand, right? I couldn't. Yeah, I can, I can read it. Okay, it's fine. Perhaps Yitro was afraid of Moses, arguing that after all was said and done, he would forfeit the opportunity to perform the commandments, including teaching the people God's ways and that it was not the way of the righteous to look for ways to ease their burdens, even if they would tire from shouldering them. 
Great. Thank you for um, for reading that for us. So it, it sounds like Yitro is anticipating some of Moshe's pushback here and saying, <clears throat> you know, Moses is a guy who's really worried about fulfilling God's commandments. Moshe might think that actually he needs to fulfill all of the commandments by continuing to like ha- hold the Torah and teach it to people kind of, you know, one at a time in solving these cases. And that he might think it's actually part of God's command to him as leader to be the one who's, who's holding all of that Torah in his, you know, in his basket. But so what is, um, so like, what do you think Yitro is trying to offer instead? What do you think Yitro is trying to tell him instead? It's Yitro's own way of making, of, of assuring that Moses fulfills his task. Mm-hmm. In other words, if the task is so burdensome, there's too much from one man, he'll shirk from the responsibility. And so what Yitro recognizes is that that cannot happen. Mm-hmm. And the way to prevent that is to spread the burden out. Right, right. And it, it sounds it sounds like that's actually, you're going to be closer to fulfilling God's command if you do this thing. That like maybe you were viewing it as it was your job to hold on to it, but actually it's your job to to spread it out, to let it go. Um, that's why, I, I mean, I titled this sheet Setting, the, Setting Torah Free. It sounds like Yitro is telling him that actually it's part of your commanded job here to set the Torah free, to not be the only person holding on to it. Yes, maybe God gave you part of it just to you, but it wasn't meant to stay there. And it's now it's your task to, to, to set it free and to give it to others. So I wanted to close with this one line from, from Midrash Bamidbar Rabbah that it's, it's used in many contexts, but I think it's, it's important to mention here. The line that says there are 70 faces to the Torah. So I, I take this line to mean really that there are many more than 70 faces to the Torah, that actually each of us in our own faces and being reflects one piece of the Torah that is not there unless we are there to to speak it and live it. And maybe an additional thing that Moshe was was worried about was that transition from being, you know, Moshe, the face of Torah, to allowing Torah to be to be reflected in the faces of so many more people. We know that they're about to to get the 10 commandments and you know, which was not a simple task and Moshe faced his own other leadership challenges when the, when the people, you know, they, they botched something that he, he I'm sure is also afraid of it not going as well, that if I have all the Torah, I will know what's right and I will know what's wrong and I will do it perfectly. But part of that leap that he has to take is not only in sharing it, but also is also as the Torah goes to, you know, all of these 70 faces of Torah that sometimes people are going to make mistakes and need to patch things up. And part of the learning of Torah is how to, to rebuild when that happens too. So I think, <clears throat> I think much of this episode that, that Yitro has helped lead Moshe through here is part of his preparation to, to get ready to, to let the Torah become very expansive when it's given to to the Am and not just to him and to set up the system of judges as, as one transitional way of starting to let that Torah become, become bigger than him and become 
a legacy and not only his own his own teachings. So I, I hope that whatever it is we are holding on to and wanting to become part of our own legacies, we have we find the 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 joy and the courage to to help set it free and let it go and let it not only be something for us, but something for for those we care about and the rest of the world to to really enjoy. So um, any any other quick quick thoughts before we go to Marif? All right. So we will uh, yeah, one more comment. One comment. Oh yeah, sure, go for it. All right. Oh I was just gonna say um, when you're talking about reasons that Moses could be hesitant, um, I mean maybe he liked feeling special being you know the the one prophet. Um, yet I think we can also see that that it really doesn't diminish him to share share the knowledge. He may have felt right. that it does, but it really he's you know the singular uh, you know person that he is. So. Right. Right. Um, beautiful. Thank you. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.